It's time for episode 303 of the Clockwise Podcast from Relay FM, recorded Wednesday, July 17th, 2019. Clockwise, four people, four tech topics, 30 minutes. Welcome back to Clockwise, the tech podcast with a little bit of time, but a whole lot of heart. I'm your co-host, Dan Morin, and I am joined across this lovely internet of ours by my good friend and co-host, Mr. Micah Sargent. How are you doing today, Micah? My heart is so large. (laughs) You should maybe have somebody look at that. I'm thinking about it, but you know, uh, until then, I'll share a little bit of it with you, Tim. Aw, thanks, buddy. Here you go. (laughs) Uh, Well, I hope our heart is large enough for our four tech topics and our two wonderful guests this week. To my left, it is a technology writer and the host of Fantabulous, I'm just going to say it, Fantabulous Podcasts, like Material, right here on Relay FM and the Android Show. It's Florence Ion. Hi, Flo. How you doing? Hi, thank you so much. And also, it's so nice to know that we're all just we're all just bursting from the hearts. Today. <laughs> that's right. That's right. <laughs> oh, bursting hearts. How wonderful. It's going to be a my- really weird alien vibe there. <laughs> oh, golly gee. Not, not great. Uh, to my left, author and photographer, a columnist at the Seattle Times, and, you know, shown up on, on Macworld and other sites. It is Jeff Carlson. Hello, Jeff. Hello. Sorry to interject with a little early morning grotesquerie with the <laughs> alien comment. <laughs> Look, That's okay. It, I was going there. <laughs> wake us up and get us get us rolling. Instead of Folgers, we have grotesquerie. <laughs> That's right. All right. To get us rolling, I'm going to kick things off. Uh, my question for you folks is, so if you go to an event with a bunch of friends or other people and you want to share photos afterwards, how do you do it? Uh, obviously, platforms like iOS and Android have their own solutions for you know shared photos and stuff like that. But what if you have to go cross platform? Is there a good solution for this or are all our photos condemned to be stuck in silos? Flo, what do you think? I feel like you guys know what I'm going to say. Um, I have successfully moved everyone in my life, even the iPhone users, over to Google Photos because everybody has a Gmail account. And once I showed them how easy it was for me to create the album, which, by the way, now that is the uh, everyone expects flow to create the album. So I will have like three or four <laughs> yep. text messages at towards the end of a trip like, hey, flow, don't forget to upload those photos from this weekend. And I'm like, OK, give me a second to catch up. <laughs> but I, I appreciate that at least I brought everybody on board with me. And now we just all have a bunch of shared photo albums. It's uh it's extremely convenient. I love it. So I'm, I'm a big fan of Google Photos. Uh, so with my family, most of us are iOS users, and uh, we do pretty heavily use the iCloud photo sharing stuff, including you know liking photos and commenting on them and, and things like that. However, uh, when I was recently visiting a, a certain friend of the show, Yasmin Evian, at, uh, for a tour of the Google mm-hmm. campus, mm-hmm. um, Yasmin took some photos, uh, there and uploaded them to a Google Photos library or a little album. And 
I use uh, I've used Google Photos on and off for for quite some time. And like Flo, you said, you know, people a lot of people have a, a Gmail account, and the simplicity of being able to share between iOS and Android those photos kind of opened my eyes to that possibility of uh, using Google Photos kind of as the the base place because you can easily get to it online. So uh, while iCloud photo libraries have been fine for my family and me, I think that in the long run or or when I am needing to go cross-platform, the Google Photos option was quite nice. Jeff, what are your thoughts? Well, so I am the designated photographer in many situations. And so oftentimes it's sharing photos that I've taken with other people, in which case I find uh, using Lightroom's tools for that, for, for making a shared album. However, the big key here is getting other people to add their own photos to the album, which is something that's not very common and not very easy to do unless, like you said, you're in, you're locked into uh, an iCloud account or something. So for that, I got to parrot everybody else. Uh, Google Photos is the way to go because you can send somebody a link. And as long as they have a Gmail address, which I know not everybody does, but boy, it's kind of hard to find someone who doesn't nowadays. Uh, th- they can add their own photos, and then you have like the big group event to capture everything, not just what I saw or what one other person saw. Well, I'm impressed by the love for Google Photos. I like Micah. I think I- I've used it on and off, uh, and I did recently use a shared album for a project that was multiple people were collaborating on, and it was very easy. I think it's a- it's improved a lot. Uh, I still always am a little like I was at like a family reunion many years ago where it was a problem because there were a lot of people who had less technical savvy or didn't have Gmail accounts and Google Photos was not quite as good at that point. And so I ended up doing a thing with like Dropbox where people could like mail attachments to an email address and it would jump them, jump them, yeah, dump them in a shared folder in Dropbox or they could go and upload it using the web interface um, without necessarily having an account. But this, this is a good point. Well taken that a lot of people do have Gmail accounts. Personally, I do use iCloud Photo a lot for like family sharing stuff, like like Micah said. Um, but yeah, uh, Google Photos seems to have become a pretty dominant player there uh, just by sheer force of ubiquity. So uh, I, I'm glad to know there wasn't like some mythical solution I was missing. It's, already, it's the one I'm already using. So thanks for confirming my inherent biases. Uh, you know, unicorn photos. Oh, unicorn photos. There we go. Uh, all right. Thanks for your thoughts on that. Let us go to our second topic, which comes from Flo. So recently I was working on a story about nighttime photography and um, in, you know, in the Android realm where I, where I come from, a lot of the phones these days. The Android <laughs> sorry, realm. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> It's just, you know, <laughs> I, I always feel like a slight outlier. What can I say? Um, I really try to play it up. So um, we have a lot of phones that have a lot of lenses on them, but so do you iPhone users as I, because I was writing this article for uh, users of both platforms and I realized we are tacking on so many camera lenses to our smartphones these days. Like I think next year, the Google, the next Google Pixel is supposed to have like four different lenses on it. Um, the iPhone already has two, a wide angle and a telephoto. Um, there's a Samsung phone, I think now with six lenses on the back. I think it's the 5G version of the Galaxy S10. Um, it's, in my opinion, it is bordering a bit on the absurd, but I also realize that maybe I'm not the user of this. 
Um, as much as I've enjoyed using a wide-angle lens on a phone like the LG G8, um, which is, you know, a phone uh, that has not been publicized as much as others, I do wonder, for the phones that are very popular, that are going to have more than one lens on them, how does everybody feel about wrangling all of those cameras in your pocket, and is it really adding value to your life? So I really like this question. Um, I think it was a, a good Good question. For me, with the, with the iPhone, you know, it, it, right now I've got the the two lenses, and I don't find myself kind of needing to use the secondary lenses outside of 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 the kind of uh, what is what's the word I'm looking for the the built in features for AR and things like that. So. You know, I'm using the secondary lens because it does that differential kind of uh, tracking stuff to to figure out uh, how to layer something in in 3D space. But when it comes to like, oh, I want this photo to zoom in, and then I can take the photo really well when the lighting is just right, uh, or what have you, then that's not the case. So for um, you know, four or five, six camera lenses on the back of my phone. Um, if they help me take a better standard photo, then yeah, I'm going to be using them. But I don't kind of... It, it's not a thing f- that I, I actively sort of go, oh, my phone can take a better photo if I switch to this lens. And so let me hop on there and do that really quick because I'm just not taking... I'm not taking photos in that way with sort of that at the front of my mind. Um, So for me, cool that the lenses are there and I'll use them sort of passively, but not actively, I think is the best way for me to put that. Jeff, what are your thoughts? That's a really good way of putting it. I think, well, so for mine, I have the iPhone XS. Oh, I'm sorry, XS. (laughs) (laughs) You're fired. I'm fired. I'm getting Get out of here. Um, So... I actually use the zoom quite a bit, but only just by tapping the little 1x to make it 2x so that I can zoom in on something because I know that that's going to be an actual optical zoom using the other camera. Uh, I never like pinch to zoom because then you're relying on, on digital zoom, which can make things a bit softer. And the funny thing is sometimes in a low light situation, the phone will use the 1x, 1x camera because it has, has a faster aperture even when zoomed in. So it'll actually end up do doing a, a digital zoom. But anyway, um, small rabbit hole there. Um, I, I, I think the key <laughs> to this is going to be, can all these cameras work together in a way that's not going to make people have to make these types of choices? I mean, like, uh, there's a company called Light, uh, light light.co. They came out with a camera that has 17 lenses on the back. And it's absurd. And I think the the quality wasn't even very good. But the technology is basically, you know, here's a way to capture a whole bunch of different images and then smash them together in software to get something that's better. So I don't mind this new future of having the backs of our cameras look like a bug's eye of lenses as long as it's going to be easy to use it's not going to be complicated and the 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 software will just take care of making something better rather than throwing all the choice onto the person trying to take a picture 
Yeah, I, I think like you, Jeff, I, I tend to either use the the normal wide on, wide angle lens on the iPhone XS, or I just tap to switch to the telephoto. I actually wish there was a better telephoto, more than just two X, just because I feel yeah. like I don't get as much out of the two X as I want from a real telephoto lens. But you're you know you run into some limitations there with physics and other things in terms of lenses. Uh, I do think that the future of cameras is predominantly in software. You know, sooner or later, somebody will figure out how to cram a whole bunch of lenses into like one small lens instead of having your giant bug's eye. Uh, But until that point, it seems like using machine learning and artificial intelligence to create the best image possible using all the cameras at disposal uh, is kind of the best way to handle things. And I I think I will reiterate that as, as Micah and Jeff and Flo have all mentioned, like using all these different types of technologies to essentially make it easier for the user that they don't think about it. They just take a picture and they get the best picture they possibly could. I think that's, that's the right way to go. Um, So yeah, I I don't think about it a lot sort of, uh, you know, uh, uh, as, as Micah said, actively versus passively, but I, I do think that the cameras are a differentiating feature so much for smartphones these days. And, you know, for example, the, the, uh, was it the night? What's the night mode call on the Pixel? Night sight. Night sight. Yeah, that that is the one thing as an iPhone user I am very jealous of because it it looks so amazing in terms of what they've been able to do with that. I'm sure Apple will be trying to ape that as much as possible in the next iPhone. Flo, you have any last quick thoughts before we uh, jump? Yes. Um, I appreciate everyone's opinion, first of all, because I don't often get to hear outside of the spec war in Android land, it, which it really mm-hmm. is. Um, and I also just want to offer a tidbit out there that I learned when working on my own article, which is the secondary camera lens is not the best one for um, night photography, or I guess if you want to do any like cool, abstract stuff with your phone. <laughs> so just stick with the primary if you want to do some cool stuff good tip and with two topics down that of course means we are on to halftime here at clockwise and this week our episode of clockwise is brought to you by pingdom from our friends at solar winds it is summertime but before you pack your bags and set your email to out of office you need something to tell you that everything is running smoothly on your site and much more importantly when it's not you need pingdom Pingdom will help let you know the moment your site goes down in whatever way is best for you. You can customize how you're alerted and who is alerted depending on the severity of an outage. So when you're out of the office, you can stay out of the office. Take a vacation with peace of mind while Pingdom is monitoring your website. It's easy to get started. All Pingdom needs is your URL and they'll take care of the rest. Go to pingdom.com slash OOO right now for a 14-day trial. No credit card required. Then when you sign up, use the code clockwise at checkout to get a cool 30% off your first invoice. And for a limited time only, and for a chance to win a free out-of-office t-shirt by going to pingdom.com slash OOO. It's a really funny shirt. You should go check it out. Pingdom.com slash OOO. Our thanks to Pingdom for their support of this show and all of Relay FM. And with that, halftime comes to a close, and Micah Sargent brings us his topic of the week. Alrighty, so there has been some talk about Apple looking to fund sort of exclusive, premium, one-of-a-kind podcasts that are sort of siloed. Um, So I'm asking all of you as podcast creators and or consumers, what are your first thoughts on this potential development for Apple kind of joining the group of people uh, producing their own podcasts, or at least looking into it. Jeff, we'll start with you. 
Well, as a podcast creator, uh, photoactive.co, throw in a plug there, um, it's great because obviously this means that Apple's going to start, you know, backing up trucks of cash to all the podcast creators, right? <laughs> right? <laughs> right? <sighs> um, you know, it's good to see investment in the ecosystem. I'm not so happy about the exclusivity. Um, I, I don't know how well that's working uh, you know, broadly, but it does kind of, you know, give you that sense of, oh, well, I don't have this or I don't have a subscription to Apple's whatever, um, then maybe I don't get this this specific content. Um, so, like, I I don't know. I'm, I'm torn. I, I like the fact that there's going to be more money and more possibility for podcast creators, um, but if it's just going to, you know, turn into like like photo silos, like we were talking about, where you know you really have to either switch between apps or switch between services, then it gets kind of confusing and adds, I think, just enough friction that a lot of people may not want to, you know, go for it, may not want to listen to those podcasts. Yeah, I, I agree largely with what Jeff is saying, and I think obviously, you know, all of us here do podcasts pretty regularly, so this is a slightly different point of view from uh, a large amount of the public, but I, I think the glory of podcasts has always been that it's an open medium, and that anybody can make it, it's very easy, and you know, you can submit your podcast to the Apple Podcast directory, and you're basically you know there along with every other show all the way up to the most popular show, right? So like, there's kind of a democratizing effect there. But these, the, uh, I think the, the downside of these paywalls, despite the fact that they do inject a lot of money into the ecosystem, is, as Jeff said, it splinters content off. And you don't have to look much farther than all the video streaming services that are out there. And we're seeing content get picked off from places like Netflix that used to have a large, wide-ranging catalog. And you know now shows are getting snapped up by the people who originally produced them um, so that they can go off into their own little streaming services. And I think... It's going to be interesting to see what happens when all those services launch and whether or not people are going to bother subscribing and if the content is compelling enough to get people to subscribe to a whole bunch subscribe to a whole bunch of different services. So, I I'm skeptical. I mean, Luminary has tried something similar with the podcast paywall. I haven't heard much about them since they launched, so I'm not convinced that they that is, you know, something that is really compelling to users, but I'm I'm sure that they're, you know, you can probably create enough compelling exclusive content to at least get some people to sign up for your uh for your service so I, I certainly hope apple considers injecting some money and some uh, effort into podcasting but i also similarly hope that it's not stuff that's just locked down and you have to subscribe to their service to get it someday it won't just be like and subscribe to us on apple podcasts um <laughs> but with that said because of apple is just it helped i mean apple has really helped podcasting it's always been kind of there with it and i feel like this is just a good move generally um in terms of exclusivity there's a lot of podcast networks that are trying that with apps like stitcher radio um where they ask you to pay to get access to backlogs and special episodes and i have i have paid for that as a patron and um and i found it to be totally worth like the five extra dollars a month i think as a person who would like to continue making money off podcasting, um, you know, and a person who I I would like to just make money off of the things that I do, I think any investment in this space will help 
in the long run. My only fear, and I don't know that this is necessarily going to happen because of Apple investing, but I I see other companies, other publishers maybe come forth and say, okay, we're going to get into the podcast game too. And then it becomes an issue of quantity over quality. Mm-hmm. And I just don't want the same thing to happen, like the pivoting to video. <laughs> I don't want to see that like falter. I want it to see, I want to see it grow and, you know, become a beautiful garden of audio. So with time, I guess we'll see what this really means. But in the long run, I think the more investment we see in this space, the better it is for those of us who are trying to make money off of our content. (laughs) Frankly. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Uh, Beautifully put uh, all around. I think we kind of all have um, similar feelings about this. Um, uh, frankly, I I like I like that podcasts are so front of mind for um, for these different companies, and that you know it, it's clear that the value is there enough for everybody to to be excited about it and wanting to invest and get involved. But there's also that part of me that is a little nervous about the way the different companies might handle it, and it just reminds me of like. You're playing a you're playing a game uh, with some with I don't know some close friends and um, someone you don't really know comes along and they just sort of like they maybe they're super enthusiastic and it's kind of a it's like oh that's fun you're super but then they the game the the word game gets flipped over and suddenly you don't know where you are in Candyland and <laughs> so then you're kind of bummed out about it and that's kind of my vibes here it's like we've got this good thing let's not ruin it let's not get too enthusiastic about it and dump a bunch of money on it and then it's not good anymore so i don't know i hope everybody treads carefully i guess um let's go ahead and move on to our last topic which comes from Jeff All right, so this week is the 50th anniversary of the Apollo flight that first put humans on the moon. And basically, all I want to do is follow the various live time virtual reenactments. Uh, There's an app called JFK Moonshot that uh, makes good use of AR, and it's super cool, but unfortunately, I have to work. (laughs) Um, As we record this, the spacecraft is like midway between the Earth and the moon. So my question is, Is there any technology now or trend that inspires you in the same way that the moonshot inspired people in 1969? I'm not sure that there's one like singular thing in the same way that that really brought everybody together. But the thing, the sort of trend that encourages me the most is the the focus on renewable energy. And and it comes in a bunch of different forms because it's both I'm talking about like overall power to the the grid in terms of wind and solar, hydro, all those, you know, renewable resources rather than relying on fossil fuels, but also in terms of moving some of our other infrastructure onto more renewable fuels. For example, electric cars. Electric cars are kind of a big one for me. That was a thing that as a kid was like a pipe dream. Um, you know, there were like these one or two little prototypes, but they were never things that were, you know, mass produced. And nowadays Electric cars are everywhere. They are still outnumbered vastly, but you know, I think that people have realized that this is a a more and more uh, pressing matter of things that we have to really concentrate on improving uh, in terms of our energy production. So it's not quite as united as I'd like it to be uh, as something like the moonshot was, but it's the thing that that gives me the most hope in the future. 
I'm going to have a hard time keeping this succinct. Um, when I was trying to think of something, <laughs> I kind of blanked out. But and and I I want to make this uh, to have it be very focused. But it, just in the general, any medical advancement that we've had, whether it's I know controversial uh, stem cell research or even something as uh, helpful as the way um, they've been working on skeletal like robot exoskeletons for like humans or for folks who maybe are uh, for amputees who maybe you know would like to walk again and just like this kind of technology is the thing that makes me most excited because as much as I love everything that's been happening in the consumer like the generalized consumer space when I think about modern medicine and how far it's come just in the 20 or 30 years that we've been here and how much farther it can go it excites me because I'm a human who would like to live as long as she possibly can. <laughs> and if technology can help us do that, then I, I guess I'm really open to it. So, yeah. Um, so for me, I kind of have to, to piggyback off of, off of what Dan uh, said, just in the sense it's, um, it's a little more specific. The science surrounding uh, particularly like fuel uh, resources and and the future potential for for fuels and looking at biofuels and things like that. Um, I have a friend who is a uh, graduate researcher, and listening to her talk about what she is is working on and and um, experimenting with microbes that can survive. Uh, in Chernobyl near uh, the explosion and uh, how that is uh, like finding those microbes and being able to use those microbes to break down certain um, sources that can make new kinds of fuel. Just all just sitting there listening to that is so jaw dropping and amazing. And I remember as she was kind of going through talking about what her research is going to be, I had this moment of like, wow, you know, a lot of times we hear uh, very hopeless statements. And the reason why is because people need to sort of be, I think, scared a little bit into action. Um, but with those statements comes this like, you know, it's already too late, frankly, and there's nothing we can do ever. And we've screwed everything up. And it's just so bad. Da, 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 da. And so you kind of get down about it. But listening to her talk about what she's working on and what the future possibilities are, I had this moment where I was like, wow, you're literally working on things that are showing that this doesn't have to be helpless and that we can fix these things. And so there's nothing more inspiring than, than you know, having this, this very negative um, and sort of depressing uh, perspective on something and then having that completely flipped by something so awe-inspiring and fascinating as microbe research near nuclear facilities. Very <laughs> cool stuff. Um, so yeah, Jeff, any last thoughts on that? And thank you for this topic. Um, actually, those are right in the areas that I was thinking. Um, you know, I think it, it's not inspiring in the sense that it's going to bring everybody together, but just the, the, the miniaturization of a lot of, of, of what we've you know, been working with. I mean, yes, you get small iPhones and things like that, but you also get uh, much better uh, robotic prosthetics and, um, you know, that's solar collecting um, things. 
excuse me while I jump into science here. <laughs> um, but you know, like 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 the fact that there's amazing progress being made on things, and we don't really hear about it. But it's it, it's great to hear about things like that, or you know, um, uh, breakthroughs in Alzheimer's research, like. It's 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 happening out there. It's just because we're more fragmented in general. I don't think we we hear or see these things in that sort of big focused way like the moonshot. All right, that is four topics down. We have just enough time for a very quick bonus topic this week. My question for you, and we're gonna have to keep it brief. I'm afraid. Do you have a favorite museum, Flo? SFMOMA haven't been. I, this is terrible of me. Haven't been to the uh, the new remodel, but that's a place I spend a lot of time at. Uh, in my hometown, there's a museum called the Glore Psychiatric Museum, and it shows our horrible sordid history with uh, treatment for psychiatric conditions. Wow, um, I've only been there once, but the British Library uh, made an impression on me. Seeing original works like the Gutenberg Bible and original Beatles lyrics, mm. fantastic! Nice. As a kid, it was always the uh, Air and Space Museum on the Mall for me in in Washington D.C. But I also have a soft spot for our Museum of Science right here in Boston, which is fabulous. Thank you all for that, and we have reached the end of the show. So all that remains is for us to thank our fantastic guests this week. Flo Ion, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. And Jeff Carlson, thanks so much for joining us. I always love being here. Thank you. And Micah, we have completed another show, which means we must disappear for this week, but we will be back <laughs> next week. And we remind you all out there in the interim watch what you say and keep watching the clock. Bye, everybody. <laughs> <laughs>